you know, I don't want there to be any hard feelings between us, Harvey. When you and uh, Rachel, Rachel! Rachel were being abducted, I was sitting in Gordon's cage. Now, I, I didn't rig those charges. Your man, your plan. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. The mob has plans. The cops have plans. Gordon's got plans. You know, they're schemers. Schemers trying to control their little worlds. I'm not a schemer. I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are. So, when I say, ah, come here. When I say that you and your girlfriend was nothing personal, you'll know that I'm telling the truth. It's the schemers that put you where you are. You were a schemer, you had plans, and uh, look where that got you. I do best. I took your little plan and I turned it on itself. Look what I did to this city with a few drums of gas and a couple of bullets. Hmm? You, you know what I noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan. Even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that like a gangbanger will get shot, or a truckload of soldiers will be blowing up, say that one little old mare will die. Well, then everyone loses their minds. Introduce a little anarchy. Upset the established order, and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos. We've all got plans. You might call it a worldview. But what chaos are our plans masking? I'm Anthony Mako. Welcome to Postmodern Liturgy. So first let me say, that clip was from the movie The Dark Knight, just for the sake of giving credit. But second, postmodern liturgy exists in a couple different forms. This podcast is a chance to reflect on the weekly readings in the liturgical calendar the week before they actually occur. So, this podcast comes out on Mondays and uses the readings for the following Sunday. Our distinctive is that we try to apply a variety of postmodern lenses to the text especially offering space for deconstruction and doubt. I also write and record all the music specifically for this podcast. 
You can engage in more material at postmodernliturgy.com. You can follow us on social media at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. And if you're so inclined, you could join our wonderful group of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash postmodernliturgy. We're back after a little extended break after Christmas, so I wanted to take a moment to touch on a couple things we missed. We obviously missed the 12 days of Christmas, which begin on Christmas. We also missed the Baptism of Jesus Sunday. I think the topic for that day is pretty straightforward. This year was slightly jumbled with Epiphany, Christmas, and Baptism of Jesus. Epiphany was technically Monday the 6th. Without getting too deep into all that, this is the second Sunday after Epiphany. But what is Epiphany? Epiphany celebrates Jesus as God incarnate. More specifically, the visit of the wise ones. There's something interesting here as all these things are slammed together. Actually, Western Christianity tends to emphasize the Magi, while Eastern Christianity tends to emphasize Jesus' baptism. Sort of Jesus born as God, and Jesus anointed as God. In many ways, this week we find ourselves right in the middle of those two. Let's go to the readings this week. Wait, am I going to explain the Joker clip? No. Well, not yet. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. Yahweh called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, Yahweh named me. Yahweh made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of Yahweh's hand, Yahweh hid me. Yahweh made me a polished arrow. In Yahweh's quiver, Yahweh hid me away. And Yahweh said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with Yahweh, and my reward with my God. And now, Yahweh says, who formed me in the womb to be Yahweh's servant, to bring Jacob back to Yahweh, and that Israel might be gathered to Yahweh. For I am honored in the sight of Yahweh, and my God has become my strength. God says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says Yahweh, the Redeemer of Israel and Yahweh's Holy One. To one deeply despised, 
abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of Yahweh, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 11. I waited patiently upon Yahweh, who stooped to me and heard my cry. Yahweh lifted me out of the desolate pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a high cliff, making my footing sure. Yahweh put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many shall see and stand in awe, and put their trust in Yahweh. Happy are those who trust in Yahweh. They do not turn to enemies or to those who follow lies. Great are the wonders you have done, Yahweh, my God. In your plans for us, none can be compared with you. Oh, that I could make them known and tell them, but they are more than I can count. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. You have opened my ears, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. And so I said, here I am, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I love to do your will, O my God. Your love is deep within me. I proclaimed righteousness in the great assembly. I have not restrained my lips, O Yahweh, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness in my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your deliverance. I have not concealed your steadfast love and truth from the great assembly. You are Yahweh. Do not withhold your compassion from me. May your steadfast love and your truth continually keep me safe.
1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By God you are called into the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. John 1, verses 29 through 42. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, 
what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. There's something important we need to do at the beginning of this reflection. We need to throw out certain words we have assigned to dualistic ideas. So, forget good, forget bad, forget evil, forget light, forget dark. I think those terms will be entirely unhelpful this week. There is a theme that runs through each of the readings this week. You're going to think I'm crazy, but it's chaos to order. Now, of course, if you listen to the Creation Care series, you have heard me talk about the concept a lot. In the creation narrative, one of the dominant themes was the creator moving things from chaos to order. It's not spelled out explicitly in the readings this week, but it's there. We really might be getting to the point where you're faced with a choice. Either I'm so obsessed with the creation story that I have to keep working in the topic of chaos to order, or the entire Bible is about this theme. For the record, it's the second one. Let's see it. Isaiah 49 describes God's servant Israel, who has been called, set apart. One could say Israel was brought to order for a purpose to do the work of God in the world. But in verse 4, the servant replies with their evaluation of their own work. The servant says, I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Here's what's terribly interesting. The word translated nothing here is the Hebrew tohu. And we've heard this word before, as in, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was tohu, formless void. So by its own admission, Israel's work, under the guise of working with Yahweh, is at very least on its way to returning the world to to chaos. On its way to returning the world to chaos or that which the Creator separated and ordered. It is for this reason that Israel abandons their own work for the Creator and instead, in a manner of speaking, asks the Creator to once again work on their behalf. A similar theme can be found in the reading in Psalm 40, but it's more like the plea that comes after the realization of chaos. The language here is more personal. Where the passage in Isaiah spoke of tohu, 
formless void. This passage speaks of being lifted from the clay. And while a direct connection can't be drawn through the Hebrew here, the language seems more than coincidental. Originally, Adam, human, came from Adama, fertile soil. But here the description is teat, clay, unfertile ground, used up, literally ready to be swept away as dirt. And a request is made for Yahweh to come and restore this dust to Adama. Now with the passage in 1 Corinthians, we can begin to mix two related themes in the passages this week. Just before that though, I want to point out that a shift in influence on the authorship of scripture occurred over time. Because of the time period, there is no doubt that Paul, the author of the letters to the Corinthians, was under the influence of Platonic dualism, which probably explains why Paul so often speaks in binary terms good, evil, light, dark, or in the case of 1 Corinthians 1, in and out. I'm not actually asking you to completely throw out binaries altogether, at least not yet. I'm asking you to set them aside for the time being. Why is that? Two reasons. Number one, because setting them aside allows us to see older themes present under Paul's contextual language. And, number two, because chaos and order are not binary. See, there's no good in evil, and there's no evil in good. There's no darkness in light, and there is no light in darkness. But chaos and order aren't actually opposites. They're made up of the same substance. In my estimation, neither chaos or nor order could be categorized as bad or good. Their distinction comes in whether they are purposed or not. Let's put a pin in that and look at what Paul says on the topic. If we can see beyond the Platonic and the binary language in this reading, we can see that Paul is obsessed with the idea of order and purpose here. Paul is called, set apart, sanctified, also known as purposed with the task of proclaiming the presence of Christ. If you were to continue reading this chapter, you would see Paul reminding the people of Corinth of their own purpose nature. He goes on to ask them to be unified with each other and unified in Christ. You see, apparently the church in Corinth was beginning to drift into chaos. At one point, they had been one body. They used their spiritual gifts in support of each other. They were unified. But Paul offers a warning. Let me put it to you in my own words. You were all sanctified in Christ. You were all unified. But you also developed systems. Systems that seem good. Quite frankly, the behavior in these systems looks quite like the behavior that followed when you were unified in Christ. But you have drifted from Christ while behaving roughly the same. And your systems cannot keep you ordered as chaos creeps back in. You left unity with Christ for a plan. You had a plan, but you are just, as the Joker would put it, schemers. Well-behaved schemers. 
It is quite interesting that as people have studied chaos, they've found that order has an interesting desire to drift back into chaos. And even many times when you look at order after order after order after order, it actually looks a whole lot like chaos. We can't seem to help but to develop plans and systems for keeping ourselves on what we would see as the positive side of many different binaries. We want to be in the light, not the dark. We want to be good, not evil. The problem is, when we remove the binary, it can be revealed that we have drifted back into chaos and we didn't notice because we weren't looking at things as living. We were looking at dead binaries. That's why I like the Joker clip so much. Now, because it's a movie, I'm able to look past the morality of his actions and explore his overall point, which is stated in the clip. I might describe it like this. The Joker makes people's plans unsuccessful, which reveals chaos that their plans had been masking. The only problem with such an extreme fictional example is we may miss the opportunity to apply this concept to our own lives. So let me change the Joker's words a little bit. If like a group of foreign civilians is killed in a drone strike, many people don't panic because it's all part of the plan. But one little old fetus gets killed and many people lose their minds. Oh, and before anyone starts feeling high and mighty, the opposite would seem true too. If like a bunch of fetuses are killed, many people don't panic because it's all part of the plan. But a couple foreign civilians get killed and many people lose their minds. I can actually move this discussion outside the fictional realm as well. This is one of the areas where I think good old Freddy Nietzsche is really helpful for Christianity. Now, I think many people see Nietzsche's nihilism through the lens of the Big Lebowski. We believe in nothing. But here's what I believe is the key to Nietzsche. Nietzsche was being descriptive, not prescriptive. Nietzsche was diagnosing society. He was not prescribing new actions. So look at this pattern. God is dead, Nietzsche. Religion is the opiate of the masses, Marx. Religionless church, Bonhoeffer. Christianity is dead, Kierkegaard. Return to Tohu, Isaiah. Myrie Clay, Psalms. Disunity, Paul. I could go on and on. And will someone please give me credit for linking Paul to Nietzsche? We use plans and systems at best to combat creeping chaos, or at worst, to allow us to ignore chaos. Why? Because we're fixers. We can do it. We can be righteous. The problem is, we are not the creator. We do not have the power to truly order chaos. The best we can do is numb ourselves to its effects. It's maddening because with order's tendency to creep back toward chaos, it actually can seem like it's alive. So what? Since chaos is alive, do we just resign to it? We aren't creator after all. We can't stop it. Well, hold on. This is Epiphany, and we still have the Gospel reading. 
The beginning of this particular passage from the fourth gospel comes on the heels of the testimony of John the Baptist, where he begins to introduce Jesus. The introduction continues, specifically John the Baptist introducing Jesus as the Lamb of God and providing information about Jesus having a significant connection or anointing from the Holy Spirit. There's a ton of good stuff there, but I want to focus mainly on what comes before this introduction and what comes after it. The beginning of this chapter is probably quite familiar. The Word became flesh. In that opening, there are many descriptors for Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is light. Jesus is life. Jesus is wisdom. But also, Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. Jesus is creator. Jesus was and is the source of order in the midst of chaos. So in the passage, what happens right after John the Baptist's introduction of Jesus? Jesus begins to call the disciples. You know, call, as in set apart, sanctify, purpose, order. Jesus does what Jesus does. Jesus starts creating. Not only that, but when asked where he's staying, Jesus replies, come and see. Now, this phrase suggests more than just a quick visit. It actually suggests they stay and remain with Jesus. It is here we find the significance of the source of order and creation coming to dwell among us. In Isaiah, the people begged for the return of the Creator because they had returned to Tohu. In the Psalms, the people begged for the return of the Creator because their Adamah had become dead soil. Paul is concerned that the Corinthians have begun to forget their calling and have begun to rely on their own systems. And we are aware of the problem. Chaos is alive, and order tends to move toward chaos. Fortunately, John tells us that the source of order is also alive. And not only that, but is among us. The warning is that we not establish our own plans and systems, which will only mask chaos. The warning is that we listen to the prophets who try to help us see the ways in which we mask the chaos. And the plea is that we remain connected to the source who descended to us and who remains with us. That does it for this week's episode. Next week, as we continue to celebrate the season of Epiphany, I also want to honor the fact that it will be Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So that will actually be the focus of most of next week's episode. I'd love if you would join us online. We're at postmodernliturgy.com. 
We are at Postmodern Liturgy on Facebook and Instagram and at PM Liturgy on Twitter. Also, I just wanted to give a quick plug for our Pacific Northwest trip, which is happening in May. I'm opening up deposits this week, so spots will be locked in as deposits come in. There's still time to sign up, though. If you're interested in more information, go to postmodernliturgy.com and click the Experiences tab. Finally, I'd love if you would consider supporting our work for free by sharing and rating and reviewing the podcast or financially at patreon.com slash postmodernliturgy. If you visit our Patreon site, you can see several great benefits for our wonderful supporters. Thanks again for joining me and enjoy the tension. Thank you.